You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. The beautiful island nation of Haiti is known for its soulful food and music, but of late, it's been in the news for its turmoil as it's on the verge of self-destruction. Poverty, crime, corruption are high. Food, fuel, water are all low. The violence has forced closures of schools and businesses. There are no legitimate elected officials at the helm and no evident plan to organize credible elections in the UN-occupied country. Meanwhile, gangs of kidnappers and their foreign-appointed political allies claim all the power. There is a legacy of Canadian intervention in Haiti dating back over 20 years, but it's not a great one. In that time, Haiti has gone from having 7,000 duly elected officials to none today. As Canada and other foreign powers consider renewed intervention in Haiti, it's important that we reflect on the history of the disastrous Ottawa Initiative so that we're not doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past. I'm Donovan Bennett, host of the Going Deep podcast for Sportsnet, and I'm filling in for Jordan. This is The Big Story. Jean-Saint-Ville, Jafrikaiti, radio host and member of Solidarité Quebec-Haiti, an activist group pressing for better Canadian foreign policy in Haiti. Jean, thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me. Describe what it's like on the streets of Haiti right now. It's a very strange situation where, you know, on one hand, we see images of carnival in northern Haiti, in the city of Cap Haitien, attended by ambassadors uh, that are accredited in Haiti. At the same time, we get news of yet another journalist getting kidnapped in Port-au-Prince. And in the streets, you have uh, the doctors in residence who are demonstrating because the general hospital does not have any of the basics that they require to take care of patients. So it's, it's a mix of things that don't match that are happening at the same time. So yes, the, it's very hard to make sense of the news that you're getting from uh, Haiti. So as we look back, can you give us a bit of background on how we got here? Yes, well, you know, it's a long story that really would have to take a look at the history of the creation of Haiti uh, 219 years ago, uh, a nation created by revolted Africans uh, who defeated the armies of Spain, of uh, France, and of Britain in order to create an oasis of freedom for themselves in the Americas. Uh, Haiti has been in a constant struggle to really uh, have its nationhood uh, respected, accepted. And you can argue that the conflict that we're facing today uh, is a continuation of that struggle. But to you know, bring it closer to home, we are dealing with the efforts of Haitian society to establish a functioning democracy since uh, the last dictatorship, the U.S.-backed dictatorship of the Duvaliers, collapsed on February 7th, 1986. And Haiti eventually organized free and fair elections in 1990. 
but the new president who was inaugurated uh, on February 7th, 1991, only lasted seven months in power because he was deposed by a CIA-backed coup in uh, September uh, of that same year. And President Aristide, who's dominated uh, Haitian politics since then, managed to uh, finish part of that first uh, mandate after three years in exile in the United States. And then when he returned to power in 2001, uh, he only lasted three years before another coup by the United States, this time by Baby Bush, who was in the White House, who used uh, paramilitaries that they train in the Dominican Republic to remove President Aristide from office, essentially kidnapping him and his wife in the dead of night with uh, Canadian complicity. And they took President uh, Aristide to exile in, in, in Africa. Now, what we're seeing today in the streets of Haiti is a result of that coup where 7,000 elected officials were removed from office uh, and they were replaced by thugs, thugs that were handpicked by the administration of Bush and then Obama with uh, Hillary Clinton playing a key role at the same time that Bill Clinton was uh, the special representative of the Secretary General of the uh, United Nations in Haiti. You know, you add to that the earthquake that happened in 2010 with the succession of fake elections that were organized. It's really a number of calamities that befell the Haitian population. I insist that the genesis of the current crisis is the 2004 collapse of the Haitian state through foreign intervention, because in the news media, uh, especially the last few weeks, every time they talk about crisis in Haiti, they time it to have begun after the assassination of the last puppet president, Jovenel Moise, when in reality, all Haitians will tell you that the wave of kidnappings, of killings, uh, uh, mass exodus of Haitians were happening for the past 11 years, not only after the assassination of Jovenel Moise. What percentage of the country right now is run by gangs? You know, I, I've, I've heard, I've seen, I've read those uh, reports, but honestly, that's not what I'm hearing from people in Haiti. What is really happening is that the capital, Port-au-Prince, is encircled by gangs. And, and those gangs are in the outskirts of Port-au-Prince and in areas as close as meters uh, from the National Palace. The, it's not really the National Palace, but they've created a makeshift thing because the National Palace was never rebuilt. But the gangs are very close to it. And, and that's an important point because the evidence is showing that the gangs and the so-called government they are working in coordination. You know, for instance, one of the gang leaders uh, that is better known as Barbecue, his name is Jimmy Cherizier, he's a former police officer. You know, there's an arrest warrant in his name since January 2020, like three years. 
over three years. And this guy is in a small area of the capital, very close to the National Palace, very close to the police stations, and he never gets arrested. And that is not a mystery. It's because the gangs are playing a specific role for the regime. Because one of the odd things about the assassination of Jovenel Moise is that, you know, assassination took place, yet the same party remained in power, which again shows that it was an internal thing, because there's not an external group that took power uh, as a result of the assassination of the president. Likewise, the gangs are being mobilized in order to control the uh, voting population so that whenever the United States would uh, pass the order to have elections in Haiti, it will be another fake elections that will guarantee that the oligarchs and the associated uh, party called PHTK would maintain the uh, established disorder that we've had in Haiti for several decades now. So who is really running the country? It's hard to know who is running Haiti because, well, first of all, the man who's being called the prime minister of Haiti is completely illegal. Ariel Henry, according to uh, the Haitian constitution, should have been named by a president and he should have uh, faced the interrogation of parliament before being ratified. None of that happened because the government of uh, Jovenel Moïse and Michel Martelly before him never organized legislative elections. So there is no parliament that is functioning. So he is illegal. But the reality is Haiti has not been run by Haitians since the coup of 2004. And so there's this entity called the core group which is made up of ambassadors of the United States, Canada, Spain, Germany, the representatives of the OAS, uh, European Union, and United Nations in Haiti, who are actually the ones making all of the strategic decisions, such as the other ones who issued a tweet uh, to say that Ariel Henry is the prime minister of Haiti. Okay, This is completely illegal, of course, in any country that would never be an accepted reality. But like I said, we're living in a situation where Haiti is a country that is under foreign tutelage, but it's a foreign tutelage where the foreigners assume powers, but accept zero accountability. Uh, So that when there is a mess, you know, they can point to their puppets and say that, okay, you see, this is a, a, you know, a misleadership from the Haitians. Uh, but of course, this provides the puppets an uh, opportunity to embezzle funds, enrich themselves, engage in mass corruption. And in return, they get protection from their international allies so that they are not facing justice. This is the worst uh, uh, scenario that the Haitian people could have imagined because we have, you know, major scandals after the earthquake. In 2010, there were announcements of $13 billion that were collected in the name of Haitians, where Bill Clinton, who was in charge of managing these funds, uh, was, you know, traveling around the world saying that they were going to build back better. And, you know, anyone who's been to Haiti for the past 12 years can tell you that there's no evidence amounting to, to billions of dollars having been spent 
on the Haitian infrastructures or anything like that. So obviously this money was embezzled in coordination with the foreign-backed dictatorship of PHTK, first by Michel, led by Michel Martelly, then Jovenel Moïse, and now Ariel Henry. And uh, the Haitian population thus far has not had any opportunity to bring those criminals to justice because they are protected by powerful allies in the United States, Canada, and Europe. So what role is Canada currently playing in Haiti and potentially finding solutions? Hmm. Well, Canada is part of the problem, unfortunately, Hmm. because the coup of 2004 was planned in Canada. There's the meeting called the Ottawa Initiative on Haiti that took place here uh, January 31st, February 1st, 2003 at Mitch Lake. That's where the decisions were made. And we know that because it was published in L'Actualité, which is a Quebec paper. Uh, Michel Vastel, who penned that article, titled it Haiti Put Under UN Tutelage. And he specified that it wasn't the Haitian opposition, but uh, foreign ministers at the invitation of Canada that made the determination that the president of Haiti had to be overthrown and Haiti put under UN tutelage. Now, one year later, the coup took place. And in fact, the government of Haiti was overthrown. Now, Canada, of course, like I mentioned, is a member of the core group, uh, these ambassadors who make all of the key decisions in Haiti. And as we speak, uh, our prime minister, uh, Justin Trudeau, is in the Caribbean, in the Bahamas, meeting with leaders of uh, CARICOM, of the Caribbean uh, community, uh, to try to assemble a, a military force to invade Haiti, <laughs> something that is completely illegal and unnecessary as well, because they're presenting the situation of uh, the gangs that are completely funded by the oligarchs that are known, identified in Haiti. Some of them have been sanctioned by Canada. So that means they know who these individuals are, but then no one is calling for their arrest, okay, except for people from Haitian civil society. And of course, the so-called Haitian government is not going to arrest them because uh, there is collusion, direct collusion between that party and those oligarchs like uh, Abdallah, Bijo, and Deeb, who were identified, or Bossan, who were identified by the Canadian government. Okay, So they're not arresting these folks. Instead, they're talking about uh, coming with uh, an international force. And the global population uh, listening to this are assuming that this force will be there to protect the Haitian population. But, you know, history teaches us that those uh, foreign interventions only have one goal. That is to protect the interest of the local oligarchs and their foreign allies. And the Haitian population usually is a victim of those boots that are coming uh, from outside, just like they did in 2004. They collapsed the Haitian government and the UN forces that were there engaged in massacres in the uh, popular neighborhoods, killing thousands of Haitians with cholera contagion, etc., rapes, and all kinds of things happened to the population. That's why Haitians oppose the foreign intervention 
and say that, you know, it's not that complicated. All of these weapons that are coming uh, to the gangs are coming from the United States. It's been studied and, uh, and, and confirmed to be so. Therefore, you could simply starve the gangs by not letting them uh, receive ammunition from the United States. And within months, perhaps even one month, the population in coordination with the police would stop uh, the activity of these gangs. But that's not what they want, because what's at stake here is that the 15 white mafia families in Haiti who are financing the gangs, their reign is challenged by the 99% black population of Haiti. Haiti is a situation right now that is very similar to South Africa during apartheid, except that this is rarely spoken about in mainstream media because there's collusion, again, between elites in the United States, Canada, and Europe, and those white mafia families in Haiti who control the economy of the country using blackface puppets in the fake government that they put in place and in the most recent press release from the U.S. government, it's indicated that the murder of Jovenel Moise, who was put in place by uh, those 15 white mafia families in Haiti, uh, is very likely to have been killed by them uh, who hired those mercenaries from Colombia. So Canada's UN ambassadors, Bob Ray, what has he, if anything, had to say on this matter? Bob Ray was sent on a fact-finding mission uh, to Haiti. And when he came back, he said that, you know, we are not interested in making the mistakes of the past. But he never specified what mistakes they were. And we can only speculate that you know, the Ottawa Initiative on Haiti, uh, the coup of 2004 would have been part of those mistakes. But what is most disturbing is that during those same interviews that he gave upon his return, uh, Bob Ray uh, mentioned that he is in support of a remobilization of the defunct Force Armée d'Haïti. Force Armée d'Haïti is, is a so-called uh, a military that you know, carries the name of being a Haitian military. But, you know, Haitians say we don't understand this military that we had, which never shot at foreigners, but only uh, against Haitians. And so really, this is very disturbing because it confirms that there is an interest in keeping the established disorder. That is, to equip the oligarchs of Haiti with an arm, a repressive force, okay, uh, that protects their interest. What this means is that, you know, whenever the Haitian population manages to uh, take over uh, the electoral process and participate in free and fair elections and choose a leader who inevitably is going to be investing in healthcare, in education, in basic infrastructure, in the needs of the general population, as opposed to, you know, offering the oligarchs more opportunities to uh, exploit uh, the impoverished population in sweatshops and in all kinds of unproductive activities. Well, what they will do is mobilize that armed forces to conduct a coup, which is what they've been doing 
throughout uh, Haiti's history since the U.S. invasion of 1915. Okay, and so that's why uh, Bob Ray's statement in support of uh, that repressive force, the force Zarmed IT, is really, really disturbing. Uh, what Haitians uh, need right now is not, you know, more tanks, more guns. Uh, you know, we don't produce guns. So, of course, the people who are selling guns have an interest in having armies all over the world. But the people who have difficulty finding fresh water, where a number of uh, Haitians have to send their kids abroad uh, to finish their studies, uh, you know, our priorities is building an education uh, infrastructure, uh, building hospitals. It's not in, uh, you know, creating an army that's going to fight the Haitian population. What do the Haitian people living through this want to see happen? And is there a way of reparations? What would that look like? Well, I mean, we've been advocating this for the longest time. And it, of course... I always say that Haiti is a microcosm uh, of the world, okay? You know, this, all of these discussions about the 1% versus the 99%, I mean, you see that again in Haiti at, at a smaller scale. So reparations is a global thing, okay? Uh, we are living in an era of white terrorism. Okay, since the arrival of Christopher Columbus uh, in these parts in 1492, what we have been witnessing is native populations uh, being uh, dispossessed of their lands, genocide. So people tend to talk about, you know, rich countries and poor countries. Countries are not rich or poor. Uh, individuals uh, are in situations of abject poverty or, you know, in excess of riches uh, beyond measure, like billionaires. And, and, <laughs> and you have billionaires in Haiti. It, it so happens that the billionaire in Haiti is white. And it's not a coincidence either. So white terrorism can only be addressed through reparations. That was the object of the Durban conference in South Africa in 2001, you know, just days before the 9-11 events in New York. The world was convened to have a serious discussion on how can we seriously, not lip uh, service, you know, providing speeches. We're talking about seriously putting resources on the table so that the people of the Congo who are living in, you know, one of the richest territories on the planet uh, do not have to suffer poverty. The people of Guatemala can have access to their gold. The people of uh, Bolivia can have access to their lithium. And the only way that can happen is if we do a paradigm shift so that nations such as the nations of Europe uh, and North America no longer uh, see themselves as people who can only thrive on the sweat and blood of the darker people of the world. Uh, and that requires reparations. That means you repair some of the damages that were caused to uh, uh, these nations. Now, in the case of Haiti, it takes a, a more drastic form because the president who was deposed by the intervention of the white cousins, the French, the Americans, and the Canadians in 2004, had issued uh, not only a demand for 
reparations uh, for Haiti, uh, but also of restitution. Because after the liberation of Haiti uh, by the revolted Africans, instead of the French paying reparations to the human beings that they had enslaved for over 300 years, it was the Haitian population that was ransomed okay, at gunpoint for over 100 years to pay reparations to the French. The New York Times uh, issued an article last May. Their estimation was that it's the equivalent of $115 billion. Now, back in 2003, President Aristide estimated it at uh, $22 billion. And the French, instead of uh, you know negotiating how they're going to make this happen, conspired to kidnap the president and conduct a coup in Haiti. So that means we are nowhere near uh, the advanced thinking that world leaders would need to adopt in order to embrace the calls uh, for reparation. Is there a role that Canada can play here without making things worse for the people of Haiti? And if so, what would that look like? There is nothing fundamentally that will change in Haiti unless the powers of those 15 white mafia families in Haiti um, are diminished. These men and women have private ports where they can import war-grade weapons. And like I said, every time there's going to be a progressive government in Haiti that is going to threaten their hegemony, they're going to finance a coup. To me, that's the fundamental thing. They need to lose their power. Most of them are not Haitian. Uh, They have all kinds of other nationalities, and they don't even personally live in Haiti. They just have their businesses in Haiti. Therefore, there's not going to be great loss to dispossess these people of their power. So a very practical thing that Canada can do, because they did the investigation, and that's how they ended up putting on the list of people who are sanctioned uh, Abdallah, Bijo, Di, Bossan. But they are keeping the information secret as to what is the evidence they have against these people in terms of connecting them with the criminal kidnapping gangs. Well, this is not very helpful. These powerful oligarchs need to be arrested, tried, and if some of them are innocent, well, then they will be proven innocent. If they are found guilty, the punishment is not only prison, but they need to be dispossessed of the millions and perhaps billions of dollars that they have siphoned out of an impoverished population, some of it hidden in fiscal paradise accounts like we saw with the Panama Papers and and Pandora Papers. And that money need to be remobilized into the Haitian national budget so that people can build universities and and hospitals and infrastructure for the population. So this is a very practical thing. And Canada has access to that information. And that information needs to be released so that these criminals can be prosecuted. And of course, we have examples of uh, a senator 
from the PHTK uh, uh, crime syndicate, uh, which they're calling a, a political party. PHTK is the party that's led by Michel Martelly, who is also, by the way, on the list of people's sanctions by Canada. But all of these sanctions, like I said, are all theoretical because nobody has seen uh, any evidence of those sanctions. Well, there's one of these senators called Ronnie Celestin. He's one of the black senators. Okay, Now, he bought a house in, in, in Laval for $4.2 million. Now, this is right here. Okay, Now, why would Canada keep that information secret? Help the Haitian people prosecute these criminals so that these resources can be mobilized and put for the benefit of the Haitian people. That's how I would see an appropriate uh, help for Canada. There's all kinds of other things that the Canadian government could focus on instead. And I've uh, said it several times uh, in the past. That is, you know, instead of having this folly of, you know, sending Canadian soldiers to Haiti and, you know, and also in other parts of the world, I really think that we're missing an opportunity here to do science diplomacy, okay, uh, to mobilize uh, the universities that we have here uh, so that we can help, you know, countries build their educational infrastructures so that, you know, in Haiti, uh, where there is gold, there's plenty of gold on the island because the gold that Christopher Columbus was stealing was surface gold. And so, you know, there's plenty of gold. Instead of focusing on, you know, organizing a coup so you can have a friendly, corrupt government in Haiti that is going to facilitate Canadian mining companies, let's abandon this approach. That's the old colonial approach. Instead, why not collaborate with universities in the Caribbean and, and in Latin America uh, so that Canada can, of course, have its mining companies participate in bids and, and stuff like that. but. <laughs> The people of, of, of Bolivia uh, should be able to access their lithium uh, and, and, and Canada should pay the fair price uh, so that the, the people of Bolivia can benefit from their lithium. The people of Haiti can benefit from their gold. The people of Dominican Republic can benefit from their gold. You know, fair, treating Haiti with fairness is what we're talking about. So many other countries and people around the world have benefited uh, and enjoyed what Haiti has given to the world. It's food, it's music, it's culture, uh, it's people. And so certainly we'd love to see uh, the rest of the world have a fair relationship with Haiti, including Canada. Thank you so much for breaking down the history and the present day realities. Uh, it's really important and much needed. Thank you very much, Donovan. And thanks for covering this story. And that was Jean Seville, Jaffrikaiti, radio host and member of Solidarité Quebec Haiti. That was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. Email us at hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And you can also call us and leave us a voicemail at 416-935-5935. We're available in every single podcast player and on every smart speaker. All you have to do is just ask your speaker to play the Big Story podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Donovan Bennett, sitting in for JHR. We'll talk tomorrow.